everybody, and welcome back to Aligning America. I'm your host, Vincent Miller, and let's get right into things. Our first of two rather large stories today is going to be about Biden's universal preschool slash college plan, which is very interesting and actually incredibly progressive. I will pat him on the back for this. You will hear a lot of Biden cheers today, which is not something you always hear on this podcast. But finally, I think he has done something or is at least pushing for something that I would consider not only progressive, but progressive and not even necessarily something he was beholden to do throughout his uh, his tenure as president. He proposed free, high-quality preschool for all three- and four-year-olds, which is noted as one of the most expensive child-rearing and unavoidable child-rearing costs nationally. I mean, this this cost, as preschool tends to be very important for children, it is almost a requirement that kids go to preschool for that education to set them up for public school or private school or charter school, wherever you send them to go. These kids need early education statistics and studies time and time again show that it is an absolutely unavoidable step in education, especially in the modern age, where a lot of education comes down to very complicated and what I would consider far beyond the average was 30, 40 years ago. Your degree is what makes your career And that was not always true. And that isn't always true. Let me be very clear here in that you can have vocational training in more uh, journeyman type of professions. You can be a plumber, you can be an electrician, and there's no shame. And there's absolutely no guilt in having to go through that because I think for a lot of people, you're going to earn a lot more money. You're not going to get caught in the debt trap. You're not going to get caught in a lot of these, what I would consider forceful measures being pushed on students, high school students especially. I think a lot of that education failing is and and runs a lot deeper than just things being free, right? I think it's an overabundance of this commodification of education, and it's just kind of ruining the entire job market by creating unrealistic standards. However, as a step to ameliorate these things, you look at this. You look at free, high-quality preschool for all three- and four-year-olds. You look at a $1.8 trillion family plan that would also add two years of free community college after high school. That is four years on top of the already free 12 in public schooling. That is absolutely fantastic. And as Biden said, it has become more and more necessary as time moved on. As education became more important in your career paths, especially in the 21st century, which I think is rather obvious to anyone who's paying attention at all to the job market these days. But as a bit of an add on to that bill, there's also going to be benefits to families through a child tax credit. And how would they pay for this? Of course, this child's tax credit is another fantastic handhold mechanism to be able to provide for these families, especially as the cost of raising children has become more and more expensive via not only inflation, but again, through artificial means like jobs, overqualification necessitating much longer tenures in school, pushing back the age to have kids. There's a lot of different reasons, and, and you, we really don't need to go in and dissect them all. But just looking at it from a blanket statement, this would help a lot. But of course, how do you pay for $1.8 trillion, which is not only a lot of money, but it isn't even the largest amount of money that Biden intends to spend with his total amount of spending, quote unquote, the amount of money that he is willing or pushing to spend on many programs equaling around $4 trillion, which is a lot of money, uh, undoubtedly. 
And even if you aren't going to take the approach where it's, you know, you need to be a hardline financial conservative, you need to ensure that the deficit is being combated at all turns. Even if you don't take that approach, you can look at it or rather if you don't take the other approach as well, where it's just modern economic theory of printing as much money as you need to pay for federal programs because there are no consequences because the bubble is too big to burst. Cough, cough, 2008 is what I would point you to in that argument. Again, I am not an economics professor and I am not I have no degree in economics, so I understand my own ineptitude in arguing for either of those points. But to take the layman's approach to just look at it from a more realistic, down to earth approach, how do you pay for this? How do you even fight the cost of that? How do you not run up a massive debt during your tenure as president? And how do you also in the same time not overblow it so that you can pass these very meaningful and important measures? Well, it looks like Biden will be taking the rather common sense and I think relatively popular approach to closing tax loopholes. Now, I, I want to say think here and I want to say popular because one would imagine that closing tax loopholes means you are literally just rewriting the laws as intended and making sure that there is no fraud or fraudulent behavior or at least on the very minimum, some rather unscrupulous behavior. You would think that this would be a popular approach. But of course, Republicans have been fighting for more tax loopholes since Reagan. And here we are still suffering under those effects. We're looking at deregulation, which, of course, it means more tax loopholes. It means less taxes. So you can see Republicans fighting to make sure that, you know, you're not crushing companies with these new regulations, with these new closed tax loopholes. But again, I think it is somewhat popular, especially it has a great phrasing mechanism Tax loopholes make them sound like they were not meant to be in the first place, which is a fantastic way to at least in a PR perspective market for closing tax loopholes for paying for a program that is incredibly beneficial as someone who's going into community college and is intending to have that college pay for my own tenure while I am there for my two years through their own self-sufficiency program. That is one thing. But if that was the standard, if that was what was baseline paid for by a or rather paid for on a national level, that would be fantastic. That would be great. It would open college accessibility. It would provide more options. It would provide more more personal fund and local fund allocation from schools like that. Instead of having to create programs to increase accessibility, they can then be rerouted to scholarships for more accessibility or for improving campuses, improving quality of lectures, improving quality of of just campus. I mean, it's it's so it's such a no brainer. And this is just the college aspect because I'm more knowledgeable and I think it affects us on a more more practical level, less fundamental level. I think universal preschool is just a no brainer. I think it's rather obvious the, the minute you start learning your ABCs is the minute you start learning. And if that's a year before the other kid, I think everyone can agree. There's there's really no need to, to have to fight on this. I think science has got this one pretty much covered statistically and through studies that it's it's rather obvious students benefit from learning earlier. So I don't really want to fight on that hill. However, I think the college one does need persuading. And I, I think that it's definitely a positive. I think this is a positive influence. Uh, I think this is Biden coming down. I'm not sure who pressured him into it. I couldn't tell you why he came up with this plan or, or why they drafted this plan over others. All I can say is I think it's an excellent middle ground. It's hard to fight against, and especially as an omnibus package bill where you're fighting not only for 
preschool, but college at the same time, it makes it one more difficult to fight on two fronts to create, you know, arguments against both of them at the same time, especially because universal preschool is so, I think, obviously beneficial that it's difficult to fight the package and it's difficult to fight this bill. And I think and I think it was well drafted. I think it's well intended and I think it's incredibly progressive. And I I tip my hat to Joe Biden and his team and I, I tip my hat to everyone fighting for this on the Hill and through media. I think it's it's a fantastic and righteous path that I, I'm ex- I'm excited, quite honestly, to see maybe the future of education look more and more at least nationally subsidized and be more accessible moving forward. And our second story today is going to be about the expert claims on herd immunity, which, of course, COVID being ever present and omnipresent in international politics has become more and more important with the India situation developing and with a lot of healthcare infrastructure across the world starting to show glaring weaknesses through its vaccination rollout. It's becoming more and more obvious that, yes, while the U.S. system has drawbacks, including availability of proper healthcare for those who need it, it is at least somewhat potent at outrolling vaccines on a very large scale. But what you'll note very importantly is COVID-19 is not likely to disappear anytime soon. And even with the COVID vaccination effort in the United States being absolutely fantastic and as far succeeded my expectations, to be honest with you, it is it's not going to end. Um, and I'll tell you why, because reaching herd immunity, which was touted by Republicans as something that should naturally happen, of course, is not going to happen with current vaccination rates. So the party who touted vaccines as, of course, being the worst and awful, even though their president, Donald Trump, was trying to hype the vaccines up and has now not become that man, quite obviously, uh, Republicans, they would constantly throw around the words herd immunity, which, of course, is when you are infected or exposed to a vaccine vaccine get it you know if you are vaccinated or you are exposed to someone with covid and get covid yourself these two mechanisms allow you to create antibodies which can defend in the future against the virus this of course would have led to an estimated three to four percent fatality rate in the united states if everyone had just ran out and gotten covid and died or not died that of course was what republicans touted as a great plan for economic recovery now look at us here with a non-fatal solution to herd immunization. However, uh, Republicans refuse to take the vaccine is the bottom line here. And it's not just Republicans. It's also independents who will not or or choose not to get the vaccine. Because of this, we're looking at a 70% vaccination rate total cap. uh, And with daily COVID vaccines dropping, and quite honestly, a lot of people just becoming more comfortable with the idea of everyone else getting the vaccine and themselves not having to, especially with summer rolling around the corner. We're looking at a reopening, and and I'm sure it is to come that every single governor of every single state in the United States of America, when summer rolls around, is going to open up their state and remove all mask mandates and remove all lockdowns because it will become oh so unpopular. We're looking at that, and we're looking at a 70%, maybe 75% vaccination rate That will, of course, likely lead to COVID continuing and flourishing due to a number of factors. One, there are multiple international strains which have a natural built-in developed defense against the vaccine, which means that they will likely spread and, yes, be containable as they are far less common than the average COVID-19 
the base virus, you will still see a lot of hospitalizations. You will still see deaths. They warn, they being experts, of course, who I tend to trust. No, I am not a, a blind thinker. I'm not just going to read the paper and agree. However, I think that is one thing when you hear a press conference of a president saying X, and then you just believe X because they said it versus scientists coming together and agreeing on something as a community. So that's why I'm choosing to take this information, not with a grain of salt, but with my heart and agreeing with them is because I believe in science and I am a, a, a critical and free thinker who, yes, does not just blindly agree with things. However, I understand my own ignorance in fields such as science and choose to agree with the scientists because it is their field of expertise. And if I do not choose to agree with them, my alternatives are Alex Jones and someone like uh, Donald Trump or Ben Shapiro or any number of people who claim to know answers that just don't. I mean, I could listen to Joe Rogan. He advertised and said that anyone under 21 should just not get the vaccine because what's the worst that, that can happen? They get sick. There's very low mortality rate. Sure. But I could also have my lungs scarred for the rest of my life and I could have permanent damages thanks to that thinking. So I choose to go with the experts just to clear that up, because I'm sure there are people out there that want to say they want to claim that I'm just being a, a you know, a sheep, not a free thinker. No, I've thought about this thing plenty. And in my opinion, I should defer to the experts when it comes to stuff like this. Moving on, the refusal to get vaccines is, of course, stemming from many groups. However, largely being conservatives and young independents, there are obviously going to be shortcomings in our own pandemic response, and they're going to be dips in standards across the country, which is an interesting thought in that a lot of people in Los Angeles County, in San Francisco County, in New York will get vaccinated as it's a very highly dense Democrat area. It's a left-leaning area. That makes sense. However, in Wyoming, in a, a poll recently done, there was less than 40% vaccine confidence in Wyoming. So if only 40% or less get the vaccine there, you will see herd immunity not exist in, in Wyoming which obviously is is a little bit better because of the geographic nature of Wyoming and it being far less populatively dense. But I would also say that you're going to have to watch out for areas and, and geography playing a large part in what is and what isn't herd immunity and what is and what isn't safe to travel through, which is a dangerous thought for summer, of course, just because I think people won't care, quite honestly. I think they're just going to move on with their lives regardless. And especially if they feel safe in their hometown, then why wouldn't they feel safe in the next hometown? It just makes sense. However, it it's not going to play out like that. And we will likely see that as interstate travel uh, becomes more common over the summer. And we will likely see smaller epidemics, smaller outbreaks as that moves on, especially conjoined with the idea of international virus strains foregoing the vaccine process and, and just infecting people regardless. So we'll see how that develops as it moves on. Thank you for listening through to the end. We'd really appreciate it if you check us out at Aligning America on Instagram and Twitter. And if you really enjoyed it and want more content like this, be sure to head over to our Patreon to ensure we can keep putting out episodes, changing hearts and minds one podcast at a time. Thank you.